welcome to the first Q4 Essential Trades podcast. Now, we could still have the long-awaited Fed rate hike as the major macro milestone of the year. We have a slowing China, a Brazil appearing to go bust, and yet the strategists here at Saxo Bank are making a brave call in their Essential Trades publications. It's focused on emerging markets and it's suggesting there is still value to be found in emerging markets at this time, despite the signals coming from the global economy. From fear to opportunity has been the working title for the Essential Trade publications, available on tradingfloor.com. Joining me, Ola Hansen, Head of Commodity Strategy here at Saxo Bank, Maz Koford, Head of Macro Strategy here at Saxo Bank, and Peter Garnery, Head of Equity Strategy. Gentlemen, in a word from all three of you, are you being brave or how brave are you being by making this call, suggesting that weakness in emerging markets is overdone? Ola. I think it's not too brave. I think it's actually more uh, realistic. Uh, we have seen uh, we've seen uh, risk adversity reach extreme levels when it comes to emerging markets. We've seen confidence been uh, been lacking uh, quite dramatically. So at this stage, it pr- probably doesn't take much to uh, to spark a change, and uh, and that change potentially has to come from China, and we we, sh- we could potentially see some additional measures being introduced. Mass. I think the sell-off caused by concern about the Chinese economy uh, earlier this year shows exactly why we are having quite a nice opportunity to, to pick up cheap assets in some of these economies in the emerging markets. And in particular, China, I think, is being, we're being way too over-concerned in general about what's going on in China. And they will continue to grow quite robustly, just not as fast as previously. But that was not something new. It's something we've been doing all along. That's the key word, isn't it? Cheap. Peter, what do you think? Do you think when things are cheap, obviously, there's a reason for that. I mean, uh, when do you get into this market then? You can see some bargains, perhaps. Is it worth waiting a bit longer? No, we have been quite clear in our call. I mean, we think you should be buying emerging market equities, even frontier equity markets. They are extremely cheap to develop equity markets. And I think, you know, there's this famous quote from uh, Wayne Gretzky, you have to be skating where the puck is going to be and not where it is. So we might be a little bit premature in this call, but I think the puck is going to be moving up, literally speaking. So uh, yes, it is a bold move in my in my view, but I think we, we're trying to sort of uh, forecast this um, and uh, I think we'll be proven right because I think the underlying fundamentals are quite, uh, long run is stronger in emerging markets than in developed markets. Ola, you want to come in? Yeah, I think it also ties in with our outlook for especially oil markets. No, we shouldn't forget that all this, uh, this uncertainty has happened during a time where the oil prices collapsed by 50% across, uh, well, across the main benchmarks. And, and knowing that uh, many of these producers are based in emerging economies also, if you look at the metal markets, but we're actually starting to see a su- supply response to these low prices. So we're starting to see supply being capped. capped. And that makes us uh, cautiously optimistic that we're going to see light at the end of the tunnel coming into next year. And, and if the market just gets a grip that we're starting to see the turn in, the, in, in some of these commodity markets, that would be a major boost to some of these emerging economies, which uh, re- depend really heavily on, on revenues from, from uh, raw materials. I think there's an important point because everyone is talking about commodities, and obviously I'm not a commodity strategist, but when you look at long-run commodity indices, you actually see long periods with, uh, with range, tra- uh, range trading. And, and if we go back, China obviously was a small economy, but they still grew a lot and demand was growing in that period. 
So I don't think it's unreasonable to, to think or believe that commodity prices could stay at a very low level for quite some time because there, ha there has been an overinvestment in, in this sector. You can see it because of the, the, the low yields from uh, easing monetary policies have created an environment where this high yield sector, especially in energy and mining, they have been able to finance a lot of uh, expansion in physical uh, mines. And I think we could see some overhang from that. And I think you're right, Peter. And, and I think what the market right now doesn't it doesn't necessarily need a major rally in, in commodities. It just needs a, to a sense that we we hit we've seen the the worst because obviously banks are are providing the financing. And if the banks has to look six months out and they see even lower prices, they'll cut back their their, their lending a bit. So so just the fact that we we could see signs of stabilizing uh, market could also be uh, be be an overall help to some of these economies. And it's easier for for mining companies to to sort of navigate because. If prices stabilize, then at least you know where your where, where your revenue will be, what the price is, and then you can adjust your cost base. But if prices continue to fall, you're constantly uh, chasing your own tail, and that's uh, very terrible. So stabilization is the first move we need. And we've seen some of that reflected in mining stocks um, recently. Uh, Maz, do you think we all have to look very carefully at China now for these sort of signals that that Ola and Peter are, talk, uh, are talking about. Concern was overdone earlier this year because if you actually look at the available data, if you look at the production side of the economy, um, industrial production is down quite a bit um, uh, in year-in-year -year terms compared to where we were a couple of years ago. And also from the consumption side, we have uh, retail sales much lower. But we are still seeing solid growth and with the initiatives going on right now from the authorities in Beijing and also with the uptick in housing investment, which should feed through into the real economy in six to 12 months, then we should see a pickup in activity. So China is way overdone with, um, with how the overall perception is at the moment. Can I just say something to you, Maz, though? There will be people out there who will be saying at this moment, but what about the debt in China? Because they're sitting on a huge mountain of debt. And yes, I get that the China will grow. Of course it will. But what about the debt? Isn't that a significant issue lurking in the shadows. It is, and it's careful to uh, distinct between the cyclical case for uh, the next year, how China, Chinese growth will develop, and then our longer-term structural case where we have been ne very negative on China for several years, and we continue to be. Namely that uh, China is trying to change into a more Western-style economy uh, fueled by consumption. That's uh, the positive thing. The negative thing is that the, it's not going as quickly as we had hoped in some areas of the economy. For example, when you look at investment and in turn credit growth, which is still very high. So China is building up a debt pile much, much larger than it's needed for transitioning into this new style of economy. So cyclically speaking, next year it should be good, but in the longer term growth would come down way from here. It's very interesting what Matt says about the, uh, the, the changing uh, dynamics of the Chinese economy. If you look at the demand growth in commodities over the past 12 months compared to the previous 12 months, what has risen the most in terms of demand? It's been gasoline. What has fallen the most? It's been cement. So obviously that, those numbers, it does give you an indication that we are moving towards the service sector. And also when we, when we look at that, with, with the service sector being the fastest growing sector in China right now, some of the indicators where you use, for instance, electricity consumption as part of as, a, as another measure for growth, which has obviously not been rising as fast, it's, it's quite clearly it, it takes less uh, electricity to go to, as, to go to the cinema compared to producing a, a raw material or producing or refining a raw material. So the electricity consumption in the service 
service-driven uh, industry or service sector economy is obviously less than in the heavy industry uh, economy. Yeah, very interesting. If you look at the number of cinemas opening in China, it's an astonishing number, something like 10 a day, uh, which tells you a lot about uh, the consumer-driven uh, model which they are trying to establish uh, more strongly. Peter, uh, does, does China rule everything in terms of uh, how you are assessing the market, how you are assessing the global economy at the moment? Yeah, I, th I think China is uh, on the top of the agenda for many you know, portfolio managers and asset managers, uh, pension funds. I think it's quite obvious. Uh, Mass can uh, might uh, correct me, but uh, if, I, if I have read into the data correctly, then a third of the, the growth, the global growth we're seeing is coming from China alone. So obviously, as an impulse into the global economy, uh, China is quite important. But some of the reason, and Mass touched upon this just a uh, while ago, is that of course the Chinese government will do a forceful uh, policy response. They have already devalued the, the, the currency against, uh, against other currencies. Uh, recently, the, um, they, they lowered the requirement of a down payment for first home buyers in, in China, which was 30% previously. So they're doing a lot of different initiatives to sort of kickstart and stimulate uh, the economy. And, um, and we think they will be uh, successful in that uh, going forward. Um, but as Matt said, obviously growth will come down. Uh, but still, if you could grow an economy of that size, let's say between 3 and 5%, it's still, uh, I, think it, I think most countries will be quite envious of that. There's no doubt that we should keep our eyes on, on China being the second largest economy and growing as fast as this. But let's not forget some of the other large emerging markets um, that are in trouble right now, in particular in Brazil, uh, where they are struggling not only with, with the low commodity prices, but also some very poor uh, domestic polit politics being pursued and have been pursued for the last couple of years uh, by the president. So we are, we are now dealing with an economy which is uh, running low on fuel from commodities, but also having a, a tighter budget going forward uh, to live up to some of these uh, spending requirements needed to uh, boost their ratings. So I think Brazil is an interesting case. But even here, I think it's interesting when you look at Brazil compared to some of the more uh, comparable developed markets, uh, if you look at bonds in particular, then you can actually get a very nice uh, pickup in yield by going to Brazil. And I still think it's an economy that will come back next year and do much better than we're seeing at the moment. Because as, as it stands, we've been doing articles and videos on tradingfloor.com with titles like Brazil on the brink, uh, question mark, and so on. So there will be some people out there right now saying, hang on a minute, these guys are suggesting there's value to be had in emerging markets, just as what I'm seeing in Brazil is you know, disaster. Ola? Well, I, I think the uh, it's, it's probably right to use the canary in the coal mine in terms of Brazil, because obviously, as uh, as uh, our one of our colleagues uh, on Bond has said, is is either the best investment opportunities for Q4 or could be a sign of worse to come. We think it probably is the investment side that uh, we're leaning towards because, uh, again, just imagine if we have a change the top political uh, that that itself could have a major give a major boost to the real. And at the moment, the, its stability and, and again the confidence that we mentioned earlier that 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 market is sorely missing. And some of the uh, some of the asset class has been driven to the to extreme valuations because of this uh, lack of confidence. So it doesn't take much to to turn that around. Yes, you've been seeing some uh, equity opportunity in Brazil. Yeah, well, before I go to that point, I'll, I'll actually uh, take on what Mess said because, uh, yes, if they go back to growth, they still have a lot of work ahead of them because if you look at the FOMC, what they are neutral rate, what, where they think the short-term end of the yield curve will be in, in three years' time is around 3 to 3.5%. Three then if you add the term, the term premium for a 10-year bond on that, it's 2 percentage points, so you will probably have 10-year treasuries trading around, I don't know, 5% maybe, could be that in three years' time. 
On top of that, you would have a credit risk for US dollar-denominated bonds for Brazil. So let's say Brazil is going to pay, what, 6.5% in three years' time, four years' time, whenever they roll their debt. So they need to do a lot of structural reforms. I know Ole just uh, gave me that look, 5% uh, on a 10-year. It might not go up there, but that, let's say it's 4%. So three in the short end and then 1% uh, term premium for 10 years. I still think Brazil needs to cover that huge financing cost and it will come to the world because the Fed will move. But coming back to Brazil and, and, uh, and, and, and valuation, I think uh, he pointed uh, towards this uh, quote I just uh, read today by a famous investor called Mark Yusko. Uh, he said, it's interesting with the investment community, it's the only industry where when prices, when there is a sale, when prices go down, people stay away. They actually go out of the door. And I think it actually frames it quite interesting that, that Everyone is just screaming and running for the exit. But, but if you look at the Brazilian equity market and the valuations, if you really have a long-term view, it is an obvious uh, time to get exposure to Brazil. Brazil will, will become a more consumer-driven economy in the future. They have a huge middle class that is growing still. Uh, I know that they can do a lot of structural reforms to sort of uh, you know, distribute the wealth more between the, the, in the population to keep social unrest down. But they are moving forward and there are a lot of opportunities. I think you should be having emerging market equities in your portfolio long-term, and that goes for Brazil as well. Okay, well, gentlemen, we've got uh, just enough time to really wrap things up. So what I'd like you to do is just to sum up your publication, the articles you've written for the Essential Trades publications this year for Q4 2015. Just sum it up in a short paragraph. Um, Ola? Well, I'll, I'll just focus on oil because it's it's such a key uh, key commodity for the for the whole engine of the the world uh, global growth. I see uh, light at the end of the tunnel, as I mentioned. This coming quarter is going to be a bit of a struggle potentially because we still have refinery slowdowns uh, across the world, which will impact uh, the available availability of supply. But uh, moving into next year, we'll see a continuous uh, strong uh, demand, and that will help uh, slowly erase uh, the supply glut that we've seen, and we'll move up towards a uh, higher price as we move deeper into 2016. Matt? Well, I'm building on all this comment, if uh, we don't see a further collapse in commodity prices, then I think that um, the outlook for these uh, emerging markets economies, including China and Brazil, um, as part of the commodity cycle, is brighter than what is currently being priced in, in several markets across the economies, across the regions and across assets. So uh, have some d exposure to, uh, to these regions, definitely, not only equities, but equities is one of them, as Peter said. Peter? Well, I can, I can wrap it up like this. If, if you look at developed equity markets, they're trading at a 50% premium to the forward valuations in emerging market equities and, and even more 70% in, in frontier markets. There's, there should be a premium given the outlook, but, but also if we, if we take into account what all is saying about the commodity outlook and masses, uh, somewhat positive view on things will get better, then I think, I think you would ask the question, so is developed markets too expensive or is it the other way around that EM is too, uh, too cheap compared to developed markets? I definitely think that, uh, that developed equity markets are fairly priced, so it's the EM that is too cheap and that premium shouldn't be that big given the outlook. Gentlemen, thanks very much indeed for your thoughts and analysis and you can read much more from Ola, Maz and Peter in Saxo Bank's latest Essential Trades, essential reading for all traders and investors, download their essential trades for Q4 2015, available now on tradingfloor.com.